we have a Christianized culture, the remnants of a Christianized culture, they fail to recognize their need for a savior because they like Jesus, just like they like America, Coca-Cola, and Levi, but they don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And this is what makes evangelism so difficult. Mama and Papa knew Jesus, and because Mama and Papa knew Jesus, then we love Jesus too, but don't know him as Savior. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. The phrase, unreached people groups, is commonly used among church folks, usually in a discussion about overseas missions. And sometimes an unreached people group can refer to inner city communities that have few or no churches. On this episode of the Level Paths Podcast, is Appalachia home to an unreached people group? Are evangelical efforts working in Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, and other Appalachian states? If the answer is no, then what can be done about it? With Dr. Matt Shamblin, here's the president of Tri-State Bible College, Rex Howe. I want to welcome everyone to the Level Paths podcast. My name is Rex Howe. I'm the president of Tri-State Bible College. Love working at Tri-State Bible College, getting to dig into God's Word and Christian ministry and understand culture and what's happening, what God's doing in the world, and get to take that in the classroom with our students and, and work together on how to glorify God and how to love people and bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm here with my partner and brother, Dr. Matt Shamblin. Matt, what's up today? It's a good day. It's been a full day of ministry already. And now we're doing this podcast and looking forward to discussing evangelism in Appalachia. If we were to say of anything that has been a difficult task to carry out, it is evangelism in Appalachia. But it's been done, and we get to talk about that today. Well, before we get there, we want to give some shout outs to those who in various locations are listening in to the Level Pass podcast. And we just want to give some shout outs to the people in Portsmouth, Ohio. I saw a uh, old postcard that called Portsmouth, Ohio, the Atomic City of Ohio, which uh, I don't know if that's true anymore, but we're certainly glad that the Portsmouth residents are listening in. Folks in Huntington, West Virginia, we'll say it for you, Go Herd. We're glad that you're listening in. Folks in Ashland, Kentucky, we're so glad uh, to have you on Level Paths. And then there are some folks where it's like, wow, look at the spread of this thing. People have must have an interest somehow in what God is doing in Appalachia. Number four on our heat map is Philadelphia. Well, Philadelphia really would be an Appalachian city. It's one we wouldn't think that way, but it would still be well within Appalachia. The one that perplexes me is those who are listening in Miami, not Miami of Ohio, but Miami, Florida. And we're grateful that you are listening. And uh, Houston, we see you there, Houston and Roanoke. And then a little bit also down in Richardson, Texas, which is a northern suburb of Dallas and a little closer to home, Hurricane, not Hurricane, Hurricane, West Virginia, and folks down in Louisa. Now, we also want to give a shout out to people overseas who are listening, Matt. I mean, we've got folks over in the UK, uh, over in Deutschland are listening. There's a little heat map in the Middle East, even over in Africa, in Uganda. And over in, let's see, Paul, if I'm right, we've got 
a little bit of people listening in there and then also in Singapore, brother. So it's really exciting. Greetings to all of you who are listening in. That's so fun to see just people who are interested in what God's doing in Appalachian ministry. But in some of these places, we also have just rural ministry going on. And I hope that the content that we cover is a blessing to you and helping you to see the glory of God in clear view. God's doing some great things across Appalachia, and we've tried to highlight that. It would be helpful if you are a regular listener that you subscribe to our podcast and that you share, that you're listening to our podcast on social media, share out episodes that have been impactful to you. That would be greatly helpful in equipping folks across Appalachia to minister. So please hit that subscribe button and share the uh, podcast on social media. That would help us to reach a larger audience and to be an assistance to those across Appalachia. So if you would do that, that would be an incredible, incredible help. If you are sharing that, we'll pick one of you and we'll send you something from Tri-State Bible College. The other thing this might be helpful for for us is we're starting to have conversations about some mobile events that we could do through the Appalachian Ministry Institute. And we have to use data to try to figure out where exactly we should do this. So if we see that there's a concentration of people listening here, there, or anywhere, that's going to help us as we start to strategize and generate ideas about where to do some mobile events with the Appalachian Ministry Institute. So appreciate all all the people who are listening in and keeping the conversation going about Christian ministry in Appalachia. Let's get encouraged. Let's know that God affirms our ministry and let's get equipped together to reach the people of Appalachia. We want to transition now to the state of religion in Appalachia, Matt. I know you've done a lot of work on this. I just did some research through ARDA, Association for Religion Data Archives, I think is what it stands for. They have some fantastic data on not just Appalachia, but really anywhere based on census information. And you can create some great charts about the state of Christianity or any religion in your region. And I'll tell you, brother, the thing that struck me as I looked at the four counties nearest us in Ohio, the eight counties nearest us in northeastern Kentucky, and the 11 counties nearest us in western West Virginia, we are an irreligious place, Matt. That's definitely the case. What we've seen in Appalachia is that people often identify themselves to be Christian. That's almost the default state. We know better than that. But as far as the practice of Christianity, just attendance of worship, our numbers are close to that, which we would find in New England. We could easily say New England's a place that at one time was impacted greatly by Christianity, and now the impact of that is deeply waning, we can see that in Appalachia as well. And this is 2010 census data, 2020. ARDA has not included that in their summation of the data yet, but from 2010, we could say that in Lawrence, Scioto, Gallia, and Jackson counties, less than 15% of the population would identify would identify as an adherent to evangelical Christianity. That's incredible. In the eight Kentucky counties that I looked at, it appears that less than 30%. And then in the West Virginia counties, it's very similar to the Ohio counties, about about 15%. So 
Uh, we have work to do. I'm convinced more than ever that the mission of Tri-State Bible College is important to come alongside churches and help strengthen them in any way that we can. You know, we can get discouraged about this. Uh, we can give up, but I think the better solution is to be revived in the mission that God has set before us because, hey, we're generationally accountable to the Great Commission in our time, right? That's right. And this only affirms what we all already knew, that ministry in Appalachia is difficult. Evangelism in Appalachia is very difficult to carry out and that we have to work hard and often have pretty small results as a result of that hard work. That would say then that it's not that we're doing it incorrectly. It's that there needs to be an awakening by the Lord and that we must continue to keep our hand on the plow, even as that plow is falling into very hard soil. Mm. Uh, we've got to approach evangelism in Appalachia, much like we would approach it into a place with unreached people, because it is a place with unreached people. This is what makes evangelism in Appalachia so difficult, is because we have a Christianized culture, the remnants of a Christianized culture. They speak the language, and as they speak the language, they fail to recognize their need for a savior because they like Jesus, just like they like America, Coca-Cola and Levi, but they don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And this is what makes evangelism so difficult, because in order to show them that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world, they first have to be lost. And that's a concept that is foreign to them because mama and papa knew Jesus. And because mama and papa knew Jesus then we love Jesus too, but mm -hmm. don't know him as Savior. The church has been in this situation before, right? This isn't the first time the church has faced, quote unquote, an uphill battle with regard to evangelization and getting the mission almost, in our case, restarted to make Christ known so that people know him. And we are going to start today with the apostles, right? I mean, the church is, starts at ground zero there in the apostolic period. They have to do their evangelism from scratch, right? You have the day of Pentecost, which gives a little bit of a head start, but then they're on mission and they're preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. And then it starts to spread out in Acts 1-8 fashion to the surrounding regions. And then as we get to the end of the book of Acts, we see the apostle Paul starting to reach out to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the book of Acts closes with kind of a an abrupt ending, not really, there's a lot of speculation about this, but one thing I think we can take away from that is that the mission's not finished. It's been handed off for generations. And when we look at the early apostles, like in Acts chapter four, we find a lot of persecution happening. And in verse 24, the people after some persecution and deliverance that God provided, they start to pray to the Lord whom they recognize as the sovereign Lord who made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then they pray the gospel in their prayer. They remember God's holy servant, Jesus, who was crucified, but everything happened according to God's plan as it was predestined to do. Then they ask in verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
And that's what they do. They're filled with the spirit and they continue to speak the word with boldness. There's some more persecution, but what we want to focus on right now is Acts chapter five, verse 42, because we want to start to understand what was their method. You know, we talk a lot about evangelism strategies and we want to talk for just a minute about what did the apostles do? How did they think about their context and how to and where to proclaim the gospel? And in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, we get a little glimpse into this. It says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So we've got basic principles of Bible study, brother. You have a time every day. You've got two locations, the temple and from house to house. And then you have the description of the activity, right? They didn't cease teaching and preaching. And then the message, the content of their teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And so what does it mean that they're preaching and teaching in the temple and from house to house, Matt? So when we look at these guys, they were going where the people were. They were not waiting as what we see laid out in the Old Testament. Come and see. That was not their approach to evangelism. The approach of evangelism in the Old Testament was a come and see approach. See the blessings of God on the nation of Israel and come to that nation. Come to the Lord. That's not the approach in the New Testament. The, uh, the approach in the New Testament is to go and tell. And when we think about evangelism in a place like Appalachia, we're going to have to go and speak with boldness. We've had this conversation many, many times. There has been a great cultural shift that has taken place, not just in Appalachia, but in America. And that cultural shift has taken place right under our noses in the last couple of years. We can blame it on COVID. We can blame it on what uh, the change in political environment, but there's been a cultural shift. And so in order to engage people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you relational equity with others, where in the past, there was an amount of social equity, relational equity, and being a part of a local church, because there was somewhat of an alignment between the subculture that is Christian with the greater culture. I remember my brother had started a business in, a, in our little hometown, and one of the deacons from the local church said, if you want your business to, to succeed, you're going to become a member of our church. Well, my brother didn't and doesn't walk with the Lord, and he immediately rejected that idea. That's mm -hmm. not the same anymore. If you're going to be a member of our church, it's going to cost you something socially. And we see that with these apostles. They are going out. They're told, don't speak the name of Jesus again. And so what do they do? We can hear this fear. We can sense it. And what do they do? They go to the Lord and they pray to God for boldness. Yeah. And the next thing we see is the apostle Peter confronting Ananias for his lie and his lie to the Holy Spirit. We see them speaking with boldness. And so in order to go from the temple and to house to house, there's a boldness required of the Holy Spirit the expectancy that the Holy Spirit's already before them and a boldness that recognizing it's going to cost me something, but the gain is heavenly. It's eternal. I've got to tell them what Jesus Christ has done because he's the only answer for the world. Yep. I love that. So boldness is number one. We see that from the apostles. We learned that. I think the other thing too, is they did it every day. I know that we have schedules, we have lives, we have families, 
but I think what we can gather from this is a regular rhythm. There should be some sort of church regular rhythm or personal regular rhythm to sharing the gospel. What does it look like for you to make evangelism part of your regular weekly, monthly routine? We see this, the apostles are doing this every day. And then they hit the cultural center. I want, really want to zero in on this because we're going to transition to Appalachia. Notice that they're not preaching and evangelizing in a local church building. That's not their situation, right? They are going to the temple, which was a cultural center, not just for Jews, but remember there was the court of the Gentiles there, a lot of activity and relational you use the word relational equity. A lot of life activity was built around that temple culture. And very interesting that for the early Christians, they're, they're doing evangelism at a place of worship that isn't their own, which is very interesting. And so that's one thing we want to think about, the cultural centers in Appalachia that might be appropriate places for evangelism. And then from house to house, too. They're having kitchen table conversations. That's you know our vernacular, but they're having gospel conversations in the home with families. I think that's important. What does that look like in Appalachia? So to circle back on this, evangelism maybe ought to become a spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. That when we think of evangelism, that we recognize that in order for me to be faithful to what the Lord has called me, in order to do that, then I've got to practice that discipline. Just like I practice Bible reading and prayer, then in order recognizing that that spiritual growth results in the practice of evangelism. And so maybe a part of our daily routine needs to be a commitment because as a pastor, often you're going to go from your Christian home to your Christian place of employment, and you're going to invest in preparing sermons and doing counseling with other Christians within your church. And it's very feasible to live an entire week and never encounter someone who doesn't know Jesus. Mm. And so there needs to be a discipline that is a part of your routine where you leave your office outside of your church and go somewhere with the purpose of sharing the gospel. In Appalachia, people are further apart. As we think about and doing evangelism, evangelism, a pastor is going to need to make himself a part of the daily rhythm of his community. Mm. That may mean show up at the post office at around 10 o'clock when everybody's there and spend a little time interacting with people. One of the greatest pastors in Appalachia is Tommy Reed. You can hear his interview. Tommy Reed does not live in a metropolis. His church is in a small community, but Tommy purposefully has made himself a part of the community. He goes to the restaurants every day, sometimes multiple times a day. He walks through the grocery store. He's interacting with people, and he doesn't just do this because he needs to go to the grocery store every day. He does this because he wants to be where the people are in order to interact with them And you can be certain that Tommy is sharing the gospel with him because that is a commitment that he has. So it's going to take work. That word, W-O-R-K, it's going to take work. It's going to have to be done on purpose. A lot of your folks 
who are part of your church, they're going to naturally interact with lost people. As a pastor, you may not. And so you have to purposefully make this a part of your routine. And that's what they were doing every day in the temple. They were part of whatever engagements, activities, conversation, they were part of those conversations. They were stirring things up with the gospel and showing up at those places. And Tommy's such a great example of that. So they were doing this in the temple and then coordinated with that temple activity of evangelism. There was the house to house aspect of this. So I don't, I don't know if that means exactly they were meeting people at the temple and then later they were scheduling like a second touch to go deeper in the houses. What's your take on that? All I can say is they were going house to house. (laughs) And so were they doing door to door evangelism? Well, so this is a city that would have been very dangerous if they were doing the traditional knocking on doors. Right. But somehow they were in the community and they were making connections where people live. We know that in our world, people are a lot more closed off and a lot more private, but there is a way in. There's a reason you can't deny it. There's a reason that politicians go house to house. There's a reason that salespeople still go house to house. There's a reason that that takes place. And our motivation is obedience to Christ, a love for Christ, a burden for people. And so whatever that may look like, Rex, it's got to be done. We've got to get to where the people are. We've got to interact with people. It often doesn't happen naturally. It's going to come with spiritual opposition. And the folks in your church need to hear you as you're standing preaching. Remember, preaching requires not just the exposition, the application the illustration of scripture, but preaching requires you as the pastor to lead the congregation. You're doing more than just explaining to them the scriptures. You are leading the congregation. And so they need to hear of you speaking about your times of sharing Christ. John Maxwell calls this the law of the lid. The people are not going to rise above where you are. If you aren't sharing Christ, then how do you expect your people to share Christ? They're going to do what you do in a diminished way. And so they need to hear you talking about your time sharing Christ. That's not bragging. That's called leadership. And there's a lot that takes place when you stand in the pulpit, Pastor. And one of those things is you must lead that congregation and lead them by example. Let me give some practical ways that I've done this in the past. How do you get started? You know, do I just walk out my door and then just start banging on doors? Maybe, maybe that, I mean, if you're bold, you probably have no problem with that. If you're not maybe that bold yet, ask your Sunday night Bible study or your Wednesday prayer meeting attenders, start with a small group or your small group. If you're in a small group, give me one name of one family that you'd like me to visit that may need the gospel. Just start with natural connections. That's what I'm trying to get at. Start with natural connections with people who are already in your congregation. And maybe they can even give them a heads up that, hey, my pastor, he's going to come and pray with you. And and he's interested in your family and what God's doing in your life. You know, something like that. Two, you know, as you are meeting people at the flea market or at the football game or the post office or the restaurant, and you become a staple and regular rhythm at those places, Invite them to your house. A lot of us as Americans, we've got houses, we've got kitchen tables, have them over for dinner. What a great time 
and space to talk about Christ as you pray with your family, you know, as the kids get up from the table, as you just sit and have some conversation about spiritual things and who knows what God will do. There's sometimes we make it so complicated, Matt, don't we? We do. And the truth is we speak about what we love. I think about my youngest daughter. She loves guinea pigs. And if you have any conversation with her at all, she's going to talk to you about guinea pigs. It doesn't matter what the conversation's about. She loves Sonic the Hedgehog. And she's going to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog. It comes out in every conversation. Right now, she's in a phase where she is the world's greatest Sonic the Hedgehog evangelist. She wears a t-shirt and a sweatshirt with Sonic the Hedgehog on it. She's constantly drawing Sonic the Hedgehog. She's constantly talking about and anticipating the next show of Sonic the Hedgehog. As a good dad, I mispronounce Sonic the Hedgehog all the time, and it drives her crazy, but she's always going to make that a part of the conversation. Look, you love Jesus, Pastor. As your love for Christ shows, you don't have to be like a salesman. You can just let the love of Christ show in your love and concern for other people. But remember, that old adage, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words, is ridiculous. The gospel is a message that is communicated through words. And those words may be communicated through a gospel track. They may be communicated through a text message or verbally face-to-face. Regardless of how it's done, it's got to be done. It's got to be a spiritual discipline that's carried out in your life. It's got to be done purposefully. And it's got to be done with love. Remember, it's not just going to them and talking about the pre-prepared spiel that you have. It is expressing the concern of the world. Pastor, it's easy to get discouraged by the situation of our world. But remember, the hope of our world is not an election. It's not economic upturn. The hope of our world is Jesus Christ. And we've got to communicate that when everyone else is looking in the wrong places. What a message for now. I mean, so many hopes in so many things in our culture, in our country, in our world, falling through the cracks. Just hope you rest your hope on it. And then the crack opens and it swallows it whole. That's not going to happen with Jesus. And that's what the apostles made clear at the end of that verse. What they were making clear in their preaching and their teaching is that the Christ is Jesus. The one that God had promised to undo the work of the devil. The one that God had promised to bring his kingdom to the earth. The one that God promised to make full atonement once and for all for sins is Jesus. The one that God promised to do away forever with death and the grave is Jesus. And the apostles made this clear. The one who's coming back and the one who will judge the living and the dead is Jesus. And so we can rest our hope on this sure truth. And that's what the apostles made clear. And that's what we need to make clear. So we don't want to get bogged down in methods, you know, pastors and Christians for years. I mean, from the tracks that I had as a kid to whatever evangelistic method you've got here, we've been through them all, haven't we? The evangelism explosion era, the spiritual laws, the what would you like to say about methods and sharing the gospel? Because certainly they can be helpful for the conversation here. What have you found helpful? With methods. First, let me say, for a period of time in my ministry, I served as an outreach pastor 
And then I served as the state director of evangelism with the West Virginia Convention of Southern Baptists. I teach evangelism at Tri-State Bible College. The evangelistic method that I love the most is the one that gets used. And so what I say to that is when I share the gospel, depending on the time that I have, the depth of the conversation and the one to whom I speak, that's going to determine the method that I utilize. For example, if they're younger children, Child Evangelism Fellowship is the greatest parachurch organization in sharing the gospel that I know of. And they use what really is a variation of the colors of the gospel, the wordless book. Remember, it was Spurgeon who used the different colors of the gospel and he expanded on it. So you're not somehow being unfaithful. No one's going to call Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers. They're not going to call him unfaithful. And he used that and utilized that. I use the Evangy Cube to show pictures. If I'm going to talk to an older group of even teenagers, I often use the Evangy Cube. Hmm. On the back of my business card, my card for my church, I have the three circles, the life conversation, three circles, but they're not filled in. It requires me to fill them in. The Romans road, I often share the Romans road, but in all of that, it's not helpful if we just don't use a method. And ultimately you're going to use a method that's going to be a different method each time. I would point our folks to any of those methods to help David Burton You can look up David Burton online. David Burton used to be the state evangelism director uh, for Florida. And you can look online. You can see David's constantly sharing evangelistic methods. David lives what he preaches. It all really boils down, Rex, to one person sharing how they can find the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life in Jesus Christ and calling them to repentance and faith. There's no slick way, unoffensive way to do that, because the reality is Jesus said that the gospel is an offense. It's going to separate a father from his son, a mother from their daughter. When you tell someone, show them from the scripture that they are a sinner in need of a savior, that's offensive. We're not going to find that non-offense gospel presentation, are we? I think some of the things that I've found helpful for me One, I've developed kind of in my own ministry and then two others that are we've all maybe heard of before. But the one that that maybe you haven't considered is how prayer, praying for someone in a Trinitarian way can be evangelistic. And so simply asking if you can pray for someone and finding out their prayer needs and then actually praying for them on the spot to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. You have just set yourself up to have a gospel conversation. Why would I pray to the Father? Why is it that the Son would be the instrument through which I can pray to the Father? And what kind of power does the Holy Spirit bring and supply? So I think the Son being the one who gives us access to the Father, if you pray to the Father through the Son by the Spirit, I think you have something there already naturally in the conversation to base things on. I love to have a verse ready based on just how much time I have. I'll pull some verse from the Romans Road, depending on the nature of the conversation, how much time I've got. Those Romans Road verses, if that's the first time you've heard of this, Romans 3.10, 3.23, 6.23, 5.8, and then 10.9 and 10. 
would be those verses. And then one that's familiar to me, but I don't know how familiar it is here in Appalachia, is the story method of evangelism, a group called Spread Truth. You can look at their resources, spreadtruth.com. If you like to use videos to help share the gospel, they have a great method. They ask four worldview questions. You listen to someone's answers, and then you ask if you can give your answers to those questions. And it's just a great conversation for trying to get the cultural context of the person you're talking to if you don't know them well. Just a a great resource. Matt, over time, you and I have read books about evangelism. We want to mention some of these for people who want to go a little bit deeper into the topic. What do you have on uh, on your desk there about evangelism, brother? One book that kind of perpetuates that idea that evangelism should be a spiritual discipline is Jerry Root and Stan Guthrie's book, The Sacrament of Evangelism. It kind of perpetuates that idea that this is God's, I mean, obviously by sacrament, that he's not in the salvific sense that he's communicating grace, but that's a great one. By um, Dave Early and Dave Wheeler, Evangelism Is, it's a very practical book. They're both professors at Liberty University, and that's a great book. I love books on evangelism because reading books on evangelism kind of helps add fuel to the fire. It helps you not just learn techniques but also encourages you to evangelism. So those are the two that come off the top of my head most quickly. For me, there's uh, three books, too, that I'll mention. Uh, Some of these are classics. Others, There's one maybe that folks haven't heard of, but you and I love this book. The first one is True Evangelism, Winning Souls Through Prayer by Dr. Lewis Burry Chafer, the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary. The idea that, hey, before you evangelize, make sure that you have prayed. Make sure you've sought the Lord, who is really the one who initiates salvation. We want to emphasize in our evangelism the role of prayer. Matter of fact, when we read Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, the people are praying. They're praying for boldness. They're praying for courage and uh, clarity in their preaching of the gospel. So true evangel. it's a short little book. Secondly, Robert E. Coleman's classic, The Master Plan of Evangelism. If you're looking for just... How do we get organized to have a regular evangelistic and discipleship program for those who come to Christ? It's the classic work. You got to look at Robert Coleman, the master plan of evangelism. And then finally, one that as I started in seminary to have questions about how has the church historically done evangelism? You know, I didn't know the answer. I just knew from like year 2000 to 2010. Okay, this is what people have done in evangelism, but you know, the church has been evangelizing for for millennia. So, how has it been done? Well, Michael Green's book, Evangelism in the Early Church is a fascinating book. It's a little heady. It's about 500 pages, a little less than 500 pages, but it is it's an incredible work. Those are all great books. Robert Coleman's Master Plan of Evangelism and then his follow-up Master Plan of Discipleship are absolutely incredible books. Those are helpful because they just continue to add fuel to the fire. So let me tell you a story as we wrap things up that kind of follows along with the idea that evangelism has to be done on purpose. So one of my mentors, Dr. Charles Rossell, the former pastor of First Baptist Church of Leesburg, Florida, this is a church that exists for evangelism in so many ways. And through children's homes and and men's homes and women's homes and counseling and food 
pantries, and on and on they go, unlike anything that you could ever imagine. Dr. Russell has been retired for some time, but he still, up until COVID, he still traveled and preached quite often. The Rossells are in their 80s and were locked down. Mrs. Rossell is, has fragile health. Dr. Rossell's 84, so they're pretty much locked down. And they're on his ranch in Florida. God just burdened him for the lack of people that he was able to witness to. And so he'll tell you God gave him an evangelism strategy. And he talks about the five things that will happen to you, five incredible things. And uh, I'll just go over them quickly. If you were to get saved today, he explains to them what that means. He would tell them all your sins have been forgiven. Number two, all your sins will be forgotten. Number three, Jesus will dwell inside of you and you'll be able to live and love like you've never been able to live and love before. Number four, you become part of the greatest family on earth, the family of God. Number five, you'll go to heaven when you die. So this came out of Dr. Rossell's lockdown time and in lockdown, going back and forth to the store, interacting with people when he was out, going to the doctor. He's led over 40 people to the Lord, even through lockdown. And he did that because he loves people. And he, when he was out, he used every opportunity that he had to tell somebody about Christ. Now, I share that because I want you to know that if you are faithful to share the gospel, then you will see a harvest from your efforts. Now, that harvest may be eternal. That harvest may not be that you see in this lifetime, but it's a harvest. It's the blessing in the sense of being obedient to the Lord. And so I want to encourage you as you think about evangelism, add the fuel to the fire, read the books, listen to the seminars, be around people who will charge you up evangelistically, challenge you. Be on purpose as you're going out. Make the point that you're not going to go home until you share the gospel with somebody. Find somebody to share the gospel with. And of course, as you do that, tell others about you sharing the gospel as you're a leader. You've got to be purposeful in all of this. As we're having this conversation, it makes me want to walk out the door right now and share the gospel. As a pastor, it's difficult to do naturally, and so you have to be purposeful in doing that. Amen. And we've just scratched the surface. I'm already like right now thinking of like another hour of ideas. <laughs> so we may have to do a part two to this, Matt. I'm thinking of things like, you know, the internet's not going away. How do you position yourself online to use it as a tool for evangelism. There's people having those conversations have been for years, but what does it look like now with videos and so forth? And how do you make it authentic gospel conversations instead of just, I'm putting things out, but no one's receiving things in. There's lots that we could talk about, but we don't want to close up today without saying, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, perhaps you've just come upon this podcast or family members recommended it or something, or you're just interested in Appalachia, so you're listening. You can do that right now today. Read those Bible verses in Romans that we talked about earlier, Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.9 and 10. And if you call on the name of the Lord, with faith in his death and resurrection for your forgiveness and for eternal life. He will 
give you salvation. So we just want to uh, exalt the Lord Jesus and his power to save today. As the apostles preach, so do we. There's no other name under heaven and on earth by which men and women can be saved. And we want you to be saved today. Famous magician Penn Gillette from the Penn and Teller duo is an atheist. He is quoted as having said, How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? As much as you or I may not put much credence in what Penn Gillette has to say, he makes a very uncomfortable point. Why are we so slow to give people the gospel? Well, there may be many reasons. But our prayer is that this Level Paths podcast has given you the motivation and tools to make whatever changes are necessary to boldly share the gospel. Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute exist as a resource, and no matter what need you may have, Rex Howe and Dr. Matt Shamblin want you to reach out to them today. Rex Howe is the president of Tri-State Bible College. You can contact him by email at rex.howe at tsbc.edu. And you can reach out to Dr. Matt Chamblin at the Appalachian Ministry Institute by email, matt.chamblin at tsbc.edu. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.